Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. We have the privilege of studying Parshas Toldos this morning. Our learning this morning should be Le'ilu Nishmas Chayasara Bas Eliezer Mayer. Reminder, you could sponsor the Parsha class any week you like. You can arrange through Matthew or Linda, but uh, you are welcome to sponsor in memory or in honor uh, of someone, and uh, our learning uh, should be in their schus. Parsha's Toldos picks up, of course, where last week let Parsha left off. As always, we'll do a quick overview of the Parsha and then delve into the Pesukim that we'll analyze a little bit more closely together. Parsha's Toldos begins, Eilat Toldos Yitzchak ben Avram, Avram holy to Yitzchak. This is the story of Yitzchak, the son of Avram, and the Pasuk immediately repeats itself that Avram begat Yitzchak. And of course, everybody's troubled by the redundancy. If Yitzchak is the son of Avram, then obviously Avram is the father of Yitzchak. So Rashi references again the Leitzanei Ador. We spoke about two Shabbos ago. The Leitzanei Ador, the scoffers, the cynics of the generation who cynically said, Avram's not the father of that old man. There's no way. Yitzchak is the result, is the product of an illicit relationship between Sarah and Avimelech. So Yitzchak is the spitting image of Avram. God intercedes and performs a miracle in Nais. Yitzchak looks exactly like Avram in order to reject any of the suggestions of the Leitzani Ador. We mentioned in the Drasha, why would God perform a miracle to respond to Leitzani? Who cares? Leitzani Ador are cynics, scoffers, people who knock down, the people who are sarcastic. Who cares? You have to just ignore those people. God reverses or transcends nature, manipulates nature, intercedes with a miracle to respond to the Leitzanei Ador. What you see from there is the power and the potency of the Leitzanei Ador. That cynicism is a force to be reckoned with. Cynicism is destructive. Cynicism undermines. Cynicism destroys. So much so that Hashem has to intervene. And we gave a long drusha that showed a lot more examples and quoted research about the negativity of of cynicism. Yitzchak marries Rivka, and they are childless, they are barren. The Gemara wonders, why did our Imahos, why did our wonderful matriarchs suffer from infertility? If after all, God loves them, if they have this unprecedented dedication and devotion to the Ribbonu Shalom, if anything, one would expect to see a correlation between devotion to the Ribbonu Shalom and bracha, and having things come easily. And yet, the opposite. Not only do they not come easily, it seems for them they won't come at all. So why would Hashem put them through that? Put them through that challenge? And this is a difficult question. question of what's called theodicy. Why do bad things happen to good people? These are not good people. These are great people. These are extraordinary people. To which Chazal, our rabbis, teach us that a Kodesh Baruch Hu is mis'avet l'tfilas and tzadikim. God desires and longs for the prayers of the righteous. So sometimes God withholds blessing not because the individual is undeserving and not because he doesn't intend on ultimately giving. But he wants to invite the person to ask. Tefillah is the mechanism through which we develop a relationship and a closeness. And by connecting, by davening, we achieve that that relationship. So Hashem desires that relationship which undoubtedly he had in other ways, but not through the communication of tefillah, by withholding bracha, it requires the individual to come and to daven. That creates the relationship. 
So sometimes Hashem withholds bracha not in a punitive way. His goal is not to cause pain, but rather in an effort to enhance the relationship. It's like you send your kid away to college, you do not give them a credit card with unlimited limit, with unlimited credit. Because you'll never hear from them. So you withhold. You withhold. You say, here's a debit card and here's what's on it. And when you need more, give me a call. And why do you withhold? To punish? To make suffer? You withhold because you long for the relationship. So you know, right, when my teenage daughter calls me, I answer the phone with the following, what do you need, the car or money? That's the question. And then we could talk after that. So Akash Baruch who sometimes withholds things because he craves the relationship and he understands that when we are lacking, our prayer is all the more sincere and genuine and passionate I'm sure our Avos, Yitzchak and Rivka, undoubtedly davened out of a sense of gratitude when everything went well. But it's simply human makeup. Then when we're lacking, when we're desperate, our prayer is that much more profound and genuine. That's the prayer God craves. So by withholding, it inspires. And that's the prayer that he got. Yitzchak davens for his wife. Vayetar. Yetar is a very, itur is a very unusual word for prayer. Itur. How does Rotzko translate it? Isaac, verse 21, Pasach Havalaf, Isaac entreated Hashem opposite his wife. What does entreated mean? Anyone know what the word means? Pleaded. What? Pleaded. Pleaded, begged, beseeched. We're looking for any kind of synonym that gives us some insight. What does it mean in Hebrew? The Yalkut Shimoni quotes that there are 13 synonyms for prayer. If you look in Tanakh, you can recognize, you will find, you'll identify, no less than 13 words that all describe prayer. Pilo, Zaka, Tzaka, Rina. There's 13 different words. Sicha, we saw last week's parsha. Rivka arrives, she's ready to meet her wonderful Yitzchak, set up by Eliezer, who didn't ask uh, too many interrogation, inquisition questions, if you read what I wrote last week. And she finds Yitzchak is doing what? Vayetze Yitzchak la suach basada. That's one of the words. The Yalkut identifies one of the forms of tefillah is what we call sicha. What does sicha mean in modern Hebrew? It's a conversation. Yitzchak is having a conversation with God. He's not davening from a sitter. There was no art scroll or Koran or Rabbi Sack. There were no Sidurim yet for Yitzchak. He's davening from his heart. He's pouring out a Sicha. He's pouring, it's a conversation. It's comfortable, it's casual, it's real. Like Hashem is his best friend he's having coffee with. Yitzchak has opened up his heart. And Rivka is so blown away. She sees somebody who's mumbling, doesn't see God, and sees the sincerity in Yitzchak's devotion. How does she react? She falls off her camel. So that was last week, Sicha. Here we have another. It doesn't say Yitzchak had Sicha with Hashem when he sees his wife is barren. It says Vayetar, a different verb. Another one in the list of 13 that the Yalkut Shimoni recognizes. What is Vayetar? The Gemara in Sukkah says that Ma'iter is a pitchfork. Just like a pitchfork is Ma'apeches just like the pitchfork turns over the grain, so to prayer can turn over God's mind. God has withheld. Prayer, we gain access. God said no. Through prayer, you get a yes. Now, we're not going to discuss for now, but 
Why would you want to change God's mind? If God is infinite, omnipotent, perfect, knows what's best for us, we are finite and limited, why would we want God to defer to our judgment over His? Why do we pray? That's for a whole separate conversation. But Yitzchak uses this incredibly powerful, potent form of prayer, Vayatar Yitzchak Lashem, and through Itur, through this verb, this synonym, he is successful. We study on Wednesday mornings after the 745 Minyan, for those who are here, or you could listen online, they're all posted online. We study a sefer by Rav Shimshon Pinkus called Sha'aram Betfila. Sha'aram Betfila is begins with the Yalkut Shemoni, the thirteen synonyms for prayer, and then every chapter unpacks another one of those synonyms. What is the difference between Zaka, Tsaka, Rina, Pilul, and all these different words? Sicha, Itur. Not every prayer is the same. The prayer at the bedside of a terminal patient is different than the, be- the prayer at the bedside of a woman who's in labor and giving birth. The prayer when you're under your child's chuppah is different than the prayer when you're at parent-teacher conferences. <laughs> the, uh, not all prayers are equal. There are prayers that are gratitude. There are prayers that are desperation. There are prayers that are longing. So in the chapter that Rav Pinkus has, Sha'ar and we happen to be learning it now, We'll continue with it tomorrow morning with coffee and donuts following the 745 Minion. A little shameless plug. Or you can listen online without the coffee and donuts. We're not sponsoring it for you. So, Rav Pincus writes in that chapter, he defines that itur, that verb, is relentless prayer. To be a nudge in prayer. To not let go of what you want. To keep asking Hashem over and over and over again. And over again. And he says there, Rav Pincus, why would you be a nudge to Hashem? Why would you want to be relentless? We all know in our own personal experience, our child comes to us and says, can I please have X? And you say, I don't think X is best for you. So the answer is no. And then they say, please. And they try to badger you and nudge you and, and wear you down. And they follow you into the kitchen, into your bedroom, and it began in the morning, it's continuing late at night, and in between you have 17 text messages from them. Please, and you have to, and I must, and you did for the other, and please, 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 please. Does that make you more likely or less likely to give in? Right? So the weak parent who's just had it waves the white flag and gives in because they want peace and quiet. But really it makes you less likely. Or imagine it's your friend who asks for the favor and you say you can't do it and they nudge you and they bad. You say no. It makes you less likely. So why would Hashem want a form of prayer, itur vayatar lo Hashem, sorry, vayatar yitzhak l'ashem l'anuchach yishto, why would Hashem want that if it's badgering him, if it's nudging him, if it's relentless and oppressive? So if Pincus writes, when it comes to requests in the human realm, my child wants something from me, I want something from you. Your friend asks you a favor. The goal is the result. Only the result. And until you get the result, you keep going. Well, that gets me annoyed because I've told you I'm not giving you that result. So drop it. But when it comes to our relationship with the Ribbono Shalom, when it comes to our relationship with God, it's not the result. It's, it's not the destination. It's the journey. It's not about the result. It's about the process of asking. So God says, no, but I love it. Ask me again. Ask me again. Because if you ask me, I know that you think I'm real. I know that you think I'm the one who provides it. I know that you crave a relationship with me. It's great to hear your voice. Ask me again. Keep asking. Don't stop. 
And Rapinkas describes how this form of tefillah is answered. It has to be used selectively. You don't use itur for something nonsensical, insignificant, or inconsequential. But for something that matters, you go back and back and back and back and relentlessly ask over and over. Like Chazal said in the Gemara Sukkah, you try to turn Hashem's mind over. Mike Senders, Mr. Senders, our beloved member, always tells me in Elul, this is his pshat, in Chazak v'yamets libecha v'kavei al Hashem. Right? The Pasuk sends at the end, we say, <coughs> the special parak of Tehillim, throughout Tishrei, and uh, throughout Elul, and uh, halfway through Tishrei, we say, kavei al Hashem, chazak v'yamets libecha v'kavei al Hashem. So what's pshat? It means put your hope in Hashem, and if He doesn't answer you, chazak v'yamets libecha, Strengthen yourself again and come back and ask again. So it's a similar type of this, uh, this unusual type of, of tefillah which should be used sparingly. Yes? If it means literally badgering, as he implies, then it doesn't make any sense because at the end it says, Vayater lo Hashem, which is the same word. Right. Well, look how our article. At least not badgering. Then. But look how, look how our article translates it. Vayater, Hashem allowed himself to be entreated. He allowed himself to be. Relentlessly badgered till he gave in. Rapink is this. You have to go online and listen to Sharm Betfila, or come tomorrow morning to the minion. But he no, he deals. Rapinkus uh, describes what it means there as well. I think that the idea of the pitchfork is much bad, better because he, he's turning it around and then God decides he's going to turn it around in response. Right. So I think that's a, that makes much more sense. Or they, or you, they can be understood complementing one another as well. We're supposed to be an overview, so we, we haven't done very well here. We're on the third <laughs> Pasuk. So let's get moving a little bit so we can get to what we want to study. So Rivka, it's successful. This type of tefillah works. And by the way, I don't want to suggest it always works. It's not that study of Pincus is safer, learn the Alkut Shimoni, badger God, and he'll do what you want. And we don't always want God to do what we want. We want God to do what's best for us, whether we can understand it or not. But don't think you'll always get a yes just because you, you daven in this way. There are no guarantees. It doesn't work that easily. Part of the reason it doesn't work that easily is then who would, be, who would you be davening towards? Who would be responding? If every time you daven, the answer became yes, then who's really in control? You are God. You are. You just need to daven. God's just the medium, the mechanism through which you achieve what you want. But then God's kind of eliminated from the picture. You're in control. And that's not the way life is. Rivka conceives. She's feeling... Um, which we know Rashi tells us that she passes a base of Zara, a house of idolatry. She feels kicking. She passes a yeshiva. She feels kicking. And she goes and she consults from Atelach Ledros of God. And God responds through a messenger that, don't worry, don't worry, you have two nations inside you. You having twins? Mazel Tov, B'Sher Tova. You having twins? And uh, relax. Twins and the might shall pass from one regime to the other. The elder shall serve the other. And how does Rivka respond? Oh, twins? Okay, good. The Kleyakar asks, we've mentioned it before, Clear ask, why is she satisfied? Why did she go to consult? What precipitated her going to consult? When she walked by a house of idolatry, there was kicking. She walked by a yeshiva, there was kicking. She's told, oh, there's twins. Oh, there's twins. That's, oh, okay, I'm good. Why is she happy? There's still one of those twins kicking to get out at a base of Odazara. Why is she appeased? It's a question of the Kliyakar. You can look for the answer on your own. She gives birth to these twins. There's a great answer but we've got a lot to cover. She gives birth to the twins. The first one is covered in, he's hairy, 
He has a reddish, ruddish complexion. Then comes Yaakov holding on to the heel. Yitzchak is 60 years old when they are born. They grow, they mature, and they develop into two very different children, young men. One is a, a hunter, and Yaakov is Ishtam Yoshev Olim. He is a pure, and he sits in the tent studying Torah. Yitzchak is drawn to Esav, and loves Esav. And Rivka, we're told, is predisposed, has a certain inclination towards Yaakov. Very hard to understand. Kind of the elephant in the room in our Pasha is, what's the deal with Yitzhak? Why doesn't he get it? Yitzhak is one of our great avos. He has vision. He's the progeny of Avram. And he doesn't see in his own sons which one is noble and righteous and virtuous and which one is bad news. That's the kind of elephant in the room of the Pasha. Is why doesn't Yitzhak get it. So maybe we'll come back to that later. Yitzchak is mourning Avram. Yaakov makes some lentils, part of the origin. We have Sudasavra, the egg, round, the round shape. And of course we have the uh, interaction. Esav comes in from the field, he's starving. And Yaakov purchases the birthright from Esav. Vayivez Esav Esav Bechora. Esav Vayivez means he degraded the birthright. There's a famine, as there was in the days of Avram. Yitzchak goes to Avimelech. Yitzchak is in Gerar. And we have the whole issue of the wells. A dispute over the wells. The filling in of the wells. The redigging of the wells. God assures Yitzchak of his role. And that the plan is still on. That they're going to have this impact on the world. Ace of marries. And now comes the decision. Yitzchak recognizes he's towards the end of his life. We already have a precedent. We'll see Yaakov repeat this precedent when he recognizes he's at the end of his life that you give a bracha to your children, you recognize their gifts, and you charge them to fulfill and to meet their potential. So Yitzchak recognizes that here in his life. Yaakov recognizes that at the end of his life. And this is something we continue to do until today. Unfortunately, too many, too few do it. It's called a tzava. We have the concept of leaving not only a financial will, right? People go to an estate planner and they create a financial will. They have an end-of-life will, a halachic living will. But people fail to put together an ethical will. An ethical will is the letter you write your children and grandchildren where you write who you were, what are your values, what do you hold dear, what are your hopes and dreams for them. We see that from Yitzhak doing it in his lifetime, Yaakov at the end of his lifetime. And there is the concept, our greatest rabbis. Somebody should put together a volume of the ethical wills of the great rabbis of history. I don't know if anyone's ever done that. But we have some of them. The tzavah, the ethical will that they have written. So Yitzhak recognizes it's time to call in for the bracha. Rivka understands it, organizes this entire scheme to uh, Yaakov will dress up as Esav and get the bracha. And that's exactly what happens. Yaakov comes in. Hakol kol Yaakov, de Esav. Yitzhak is somewhat confused. The voice is like Yaakov. But the hands, he covered himself in fur. The hands feel like Esav. But Yitzhak gives him the bracha nonetheless. Then Esav arrives for his blessing. And when he learns that the blessing has been stolen, he has a hatred of Yaakov. Understand the blessing. What's a blessing? In this context, the blessing is the estate planning. Yitzchak's blessing is so powerful and is so destined to come true that it's the equivalent to finding out that your parent left your sibling the majority of their assets and you're getting a tiny little uh, gesture. You can imagine it would not generate 
a lot of love and loyalty between the siblings. So Esav reacts with a hatred towards his brother. Yaakov is forced to flee. Yitzchak summons Yaakov. And this is, to me, still one of the most mind-boggling passages in the entire Torah. It's not what we're going to study today. But what would you expect to be the conversation between Yitzchak and Yaakov? Hey, buddy, what happened back there? You have something you want to explain to me? You have something you want to say to me? What's the deal? You tricked me. You fooled me. You lied to me. You misled me. My little Yaakov, the Ishtam Yoshev Olim. What has become of you? What happened? Can you explain it? Can you defend it? Do you have remorse, regret? Instead, what happens? Yitzchak summons Yaakov, gives him, first of all, gives him another bracha, and tells him, here's the deal, you better run away, your brother's going to kill you, but when you run away and you start your life and you get married, here's his off limits. Not as we have today, if she's not this dress size, and her brother's not this, and the mother's not that, and the father's income doesn't meet this, and the what. But one thing, don't take a Canaanite woman. And to me, it's still mind-boggling that there's no reference in the text itself as to Yitzchak confronting Yaakov about what... Ju- if you tell me Yaakov pulled a fast one on his father and then skipped town, okay, then you'd, you'd always wonder, how did Yitzchak feel about what Yaakov did? But they interact right away. And yet the text doesn't tell us. Yitzchak calls Yaakov and just tells him, here's the deal. And he gives him more brachas. He just piles on more and more and more bracha without ever asking him, what's the deal? How could you have done what you did? I find that fascinating. I have an approach, not for now. But I find it fascinating. Ace of marries the daughter of Yishmael, and with that, and with that, the parsha ends. Okay, so let's take a look at the psukim. I want to look at the brachas that, ya- that Yitzchak gave to Yaakov, thinking it was Esav, and then to Esav, knowing it was Esav. So this is Perach of Zion, pasuk Chavches, chapter twenty-seven, verse twenty-eight. Perach of Zion, pasuk Chavches. In the Art Scroll Stone Chumash, second line on page 138. Second line, page 138, <clears throat> 139. Here's the bracha. You may recognize it if you say on Motei Shabbos, the extended Motei Shabbos editions. Not just the Vihi Noam and make the movie in the pizza store, but if you're committed to the Vihitein Lacha. So, Perach of Zayim Pasach Havches. Vihitein Lacha Elokim. Mitala Shamayim Umishmanei Haaretz Verov Dagan Visirosh. What's unusual about this verse? Pasak Chavches. May Hashem give you of the dew of the heavens and the fatness of the earth and an abundance of corn and wine. What just happened? Yitzchak is unsure who is before him. So what does he do? He smells the odor, the aroma of his clothing. Oh, it is you, Esav, because I see that the fragrance of your clothing, you smell like the field, the field that has been blessed by God. And then he continues, now I'm ready to give you a bracha. Yaakov was dressed like Esav, and Yitzchak thinks he's Esav. Now I'm ready to give you a bracha. I've confirmed you smell... Uh, <coughs> you smell like the field 
the field which is blessed by God, now I'm ready to give you a bracha. And what's the bracha? What's unusual? I'll narrow it down for you. The first word of this Pasuk. What's unusual about the first word? What's unusual about it? What? Say it again. You got it. Who said it? The Vav. The Vav. It should begin, You don't begin a bracha, a sentence with end, and God should give you of the dew of the heavens. What is the V'yitainlacha? V. So Rashi quotes from the Medrash, Yitain v'yachzor v'yitain. God should give you, and give you again, and give you again, and give you again. The bracha is, may it not be a one-time gift, may it not be a one-time allocation, but Yitain v'yachzor v'yitain. Rashi alternatively says the Vav connects it to the what came before. In the Pasuk before, Yitzchak references the smell of the field that God has blessed. And just like God has blessed the field, He should also bless you. And so on. So that is the interpretation of Rashi. The Vav and suggests he shouldn't do it only once. He should and give and give and give over and over and over again. The Rashpam, Rashi's grandson, also connects it to the Pasuk before. Musav al Bercho Hashem. The Vav is linking it, not Yitain the Aksav Yitain over and over. The Vav is connecting it to the Pasuk before, just as God blessed the field, so too He should bless you, an abundance of blessing over and over again. Kliyakar has a different interpretation. Says the Kliyakar, V'yitain, it's a great pshat. Vav shavayitain miuseres. The Vav achibor, this extra Vav, is extraneous. The Darshu Razal, our rabbis learn, Yitain v'yachzor v'yitain, he references the same Medrash as Rashi. Ubiyur ha'inyin kachu, l'vishiyadu shebechol ha-mitzvah sh'adam oseh, e'in behem dai hashiv ka'agmulas ka'al yishalem. Says the Kliyakar, no matter how many mitzvahs you do, no matter how virtuous or meritorious you are, you could never, ever, possibly repay the Almighty for the kindness that He bestows upon us. Our very existence, our very existence. You got out of bed this morning, your two legs worked, your eyes, your ears, your nose work, your organs work, everything's working. We could never possibly replay. The goodness, the kindness, the generosity of God is with us from the day we're born. So, don't think you're such a grace of Kanaker, you're volunteering mitzvahs. Okay, God, I'll do something for you. You're not volunteering something for God generously. You are simply making a deposit towards a debt that you could never, ever fully repay, says the Kliyakar. Says the 
Lufia Nocha Zu, Imia Ima Adam Dover Blial Le Mor, Hare Hover Ayan, Uma Betsa Kinavur is Hashem, Shuliolam Luya Lichov Zeolov. Yeah, the past is the past. I don't know God anything for what he's done. It's in the past. That was yesterday. So you know what you say to somebody? God was really good to you yesterday. In your mind, you write it off as that was yesterday. I don't have a debt. That was yesterday. What does that have to do with today? You say to him, how does the world work? Say, go out. It's a rabbinic term for, go look at the way the world works. Appreciate this more if you lived in Israel. In Israel, everybody... You know, uh, everybody pays on credit. You know, at the Makola, you just have a little ledger. They fill out what you're buying. At the end of the month, you square up with the Makola owner. So, says the Kliyakar. If you pay up the debt from last month, then I will allow you to include debt again this month. And indefinitely, as long as you continue to pay down the debt, I will continue to lend you on credit. But if you don't pay and you say to me, what do you mean, that, that ledger? Tear it up, that was last month. What's that to do with right now? Tear it up, get rid of it. You don't pay the previous debt. You say, okay, yeah, that's your attitude. No more credit. No more credit. Oh, it's a beautiful klayakar. And that's what it means. If we pay down the debt to Hashem through Torah and mitzvot, if we say to Hashem, you are so incredibly kind to us, we could never ever possibly repay the debt, but we want to make a dent in it, the more that we seek to pay down the debt, the more credit He's willing to give us by our remaining healthy and happy and having blessing. And that's what it means. Yitain, v'yachsor v'yitain. Give it, and when we show you appreciation for it, v v'yitain, may we merit and receive it yet again. A very creative, interesting shot of the Koyakar. He also says, Look at the third shot he offers. Yesh Omrim. Shavav shaviyitain hurrah shelo yismoch adam al hanes. This is great. Yitzchak was teaching Yaakov a very important lesson in Amuna and in life. The Vav teaches us that we should never rely on a miracle. El yasa shelo kechol hashayimtza mekochol asos umashayechzer atevu yashlam hanes. We must take human initiative. We must do our hishtadlis. We have to do everything that we can. And then, if that's not enough, if that won't achieve what we need, Hashem fills in the rest. Yitzchak was teaching Yaakov the Yitain the Vav is God will give you Vav connecting it to something else what is God giving us blessing connected to? our making the effort to receive it 
Yitzchak was saying to Yaakov, don't sit on your couch at home and think, well, I'm such a maimon, I have such a muna, I don't need to work. Hashem will provide. Here's the routing number to my bank account. We wire it right in. I'm on the couch or I'll sit in the base medrash learning. I will, I don't need to work. God will provide. Says Yitzchak to Yaakov in giving him the bracha. You want God to provide? You want God to bless you? You want access to material success and wealth? God's blessing is contingent. It must be predicated on you first making effort. On you taking initiative. It's a great kliyaka, right? He thinks he's giving it to Asaph. Correct. Yeah. Cor- well, actually, we'll see in a moment. There is an interpretation that not. But you're correct. Whether it's to Asaph or Yaakov, Yitzchak is communicating a life lesson, and the life lesson is: don't sit back and think you have such a muna. Hashem will provide. Hashem provides after we've done our effort, after we've done our part, and that's what the vav is there for. The vav is connecting it to what comes earlier. So, what's the bracha? that Yaakov is giving, Yitzchak is giving rather, Yitain Lecha. Says the Balaturim, the Yitain Lecha, how many words are in this Pasuk? Yud Tevos, there are ten. Kineged Yud Adibro Shasidin Banov Lekabo. The ten words in this Pasuk, the real Yitain, the greatest gift God gives is the Aseris Adibros. The ten words in the Pasuk, says the Balaturim, are an allusion to the Aseris Adibros. The bracha is mitala shamayim. It's a funny bracha. The Ramban points out. Ain a bracha. I'm in the Ramban now. Ain a bracha. Could spend the entire day just on this pasuk. Ain a bracha. Sheitein lo alokim mitala shamayim. Ketal yared b'chol makom. You need a bracha from God that there's dew that descends from heaven. You wake up in the morning. Remember when you're in camp in the mountains and the Catskills. You wake up every morning. The ground's wet. Maybe it happens here. I just don't get up early enough. I don't know. But you wake up in the morning and the ground is wet. Oh, is it sprinklers or the dew? It was the dew? Okay. But in the right climate, in the right environment, the dew automatically falls from heaven, says the Ramban. What kind of a bracha is this? May you, may you benefit from... You give a kid in the Catskills a bracha, may you wake up to find the dew tomorrow morning. The dew falls every day. Had the bracha been, may you have an abundance of dew, more than normal. Or, may the rain fall in the right time. Right, we say later, in Vayikra, part of the, in the Tochacha, the blessing is not just that it rains, it rains in the right time. At night while you're sleeping, so it doesn't interrupt your day, getting in and out of the car. That it's not too much rain, it's not too little rain, it's just the right amount of rain. Says the Ramban, that's what it should have been the bracha. A lot of dew, or dew in the right time. What's this bracha of dew? Dew falls naturally. Says the Ramban, this bracha and the vav is connecting it to the bracha before. The bracha before is that the field was blessed. 
and the Vita in the Chom, Yitala Shemaim, is a continuation of that bracha. That when you are in the field hunting, may you never be in danger. May the field produce for you. And so on. So the Ramban also has another interpretation. Clearly, all of the Mepharshim are bothered. You don't begin a bracha, a sentence with and. Why is the Vav? We saw Rashi, the Rashbam, the Kleyakar, and now the Ramban about what that Vav, what that end may be coming to teach. Yavducha, the bracha continues. The bracha continues. Yavducha amim v'yishtachavu l'cha l'umim v'gvir l'achacha v'yishtachavu l'cha b'nei imecha orerecha arur u'mivorerecha baruch. Nations will serve you, kingdoms will bow down to you, you'll be a master over your brothers, your mother's sons will bow down to you, those who curse you will be cursed, and those who bless you will be blessed. Rashi notes, Rashi notes, we've seen this expression, not yet in Bereshus, we will see this expression, we're familiar with it. Only when we're familiar with it, we find it in the opposite order. So why? Here Yitzhak says to either Esav Yaakov, who did he think is before him, but he says to him, may those who curse you be cursed, and those who bless you be blessed. And yet when Bilam, when God transforms Bilam's words, it comes out, first the blessing, then the curse. Why the change? Says Rashi, because the righteous begin with suffering and merit tranquility. So they begin with the curse and then they aspire for tranquility. However, but the wicked, they first have tranquility, but the wicked end up with Yisurin. They end up with affliction. So Rashi explains why there might be a change. So you should have a question about this. Again, who does Yitzhak think he's talking to? Is it Yaakov or Esav? Good. But there's another question, and it's asked by the Ramban. The Ramban quotes this Rashi and then says, Imkain, Lama Amar Baruch Avram. There's a third time we have this expression. What does God say to Avram? Those who bless you will be blessed in Lechlecha. And those who curse you will be cursed. So which order does that follow? Bilam or Yitzchak? That's following the order of Bilam. Based on Rashi's explanation, the Ramban asks, how do you understand why God follows the order of Bilam when he's giving this Statement to Avram, v'ze eino kasha, ki chazer sham v'nivrechu b'cha akomish b'chosa adama hine a bracha b'roshu b'sof, because there God comes back and gives another bracha afterwards. So it's not which one's first. In God's case, there's three variables. So if there's only two variables, then Av, then Yitzchak here teaches: first is the curse, then the blessing. You begin with suffering, you end with peace and tranquility. Unlike Bilam. But God wasn't that he was following Bilam. God had three variables. He ended with a bracha as well, because God ends the Nivrachu Bacham Komesh Bachos Good. Let's keep going. 
Actually, before we continue with Pasuk Lamed. So who does... The implication is that he's speaking to the Yaakov, and that's... Who does he think he's talking to? When he Rashi, he tells that he's talking to Yaakov. That he knows he's talking to Yaakov? Not necessarily. Again, Esav, his son, his beloved son, yeah. and he's hoping for even as Esav that he has Shalva, that he, that he rises to tranquility in his life. So it's possible. But look what the Sforno says. In that last expression, in the words of Bracha, Yitzchak says, Have a gevir le'achecha. Have a gevir le'achecha. What does that mean? You should master over your brothers. Who does Yitzchak think he's talking to? Right? He's got one brother. But who does Yitzchak think he's talking to? Why would Yitzchak give a bracha to Esav to be the master over Yaakov? If Yitzchak is who we think Yitzchak is, again, why doesn't Yitzchak get it? Why is he giving a bracha to Esav to be superior, have sway over Yaakov? So the Sforno is bothered by this. The only one who I saw is bothered by this. Says the Sforno, Fascinating. He says, Yitzchak thought, it'll be good enough for Yaakov to have his portion in Israel, but you know what, if he's in charge, he's not going to be able to sit in Steigen Torah. He can't sit and learn. If you're in charge, to become a politician... There are exceptions to this rule. There are exceptions. But they are exceptions. They are not the rule. To be a politician, you have to have a healthy ego and ambition. Often, people are crooked or make false promises. You know, to be a politician, to, to rise, to be in charge, comes with a lot of challenges. So says the Sfarno, maybe Yitzchak did not want Yaakov to have to face those challenges of being in charge. So it wouldn't have been so bad to be Meshubud, to be subservient to his brother. Let Esav have that role, and let Yaakov be able to sit and learn. He'll be a member of Esav's kingdom. In other words, the Svarno has to struggle to reinterpret if indeed Yitzchak thinks he's talking to Esav, why would he give him that bracha? So the Svarno has to twist himself into a pretzel to figure out how even that bracha could be good for for Yaakov. Very, very interesting. Very interesting. <clears throat> okay. The Rabbi Salavechik. Yes. I'm sorry? Correct, right. It sounds familiar like the bracha of one is learning and the other is supporting the other one in learning. Maybe that's what. Okay. Yitzchak had in mind. Oh, beautiful. It's a great suggestion. What Yitzchak had in mind was not that when it says you should be the master over your brother means you're the breadwinner. You bring in the money. You will pay in fund for your brother to sit and learn. You'll pay for him to be in Kolo. Beautiful. Rabbi Salavechik says the following. When Yaakov bought the birthright from Esau, Yaakov attained the privilege of serving in the Beis HaMikdash. Yitzchak's blessings, on the other hand, were meant to confer material benefits. Yaakov wanted a God-oriented existence as well as the niceties of life, while Yitzchak doubted that one could have both. He did not think it possible to be a committed servant to the Almighty and still have the Tal HaShamayim. As a result, Yitzchak originally intended that the latter blessing be bestowed on Esav, not recognizing Esav to be a murderer and a cheat. 
Yitzchak assumed that Esav would at least follow the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach, Noach's moral code. Rivka had a different view of material benefits in Yitzchak's blessing. The Torah teaches man how to combine both spiritual and physical objectives, how to plan, how to succeed, at the same time observe the covenant. Man is both metaphysical as well as a secular being. The Torah takes man's mundane activities and hallows them. One must work six days and hallow the seventh to God, abstaining to raise oneself spiritually. To the poor we must give 10%. Disciplining ourselves to withdraw, to give away, is part of the service to the Almighty. Without the Tala Shamayim, Yaakov could not absorb this vital lesson. So the Rav says, what's going on over here? What is Yitzchak thinking giving this bracha to Esav? What is Rivka thinking trying to turn it around? And says Rabbi Salavechik, there was a fundamental debate between Yitzchak and Rivka. To be the most righteous, to fulfill our greatest mission on earth, one must, must one be ascetic? One must be removed from the physical pleasures? To be spiritual, do you have to be divorced from the physical world? Exclusively immersed in the spiritual, in the world of Torah? Or is the world of spirituality achieved through the mechanism, the means of the physical? Is the spiritual the process of lifting and elevating the physical? So Yitzchak thought there's a world of Ruchlis and a world of Gashmis. There's a world of spirituality and there's a physical world. My Yaakov, my Ishtam Yoshev Olam, of course he's the fulfillment of our destiny. And therefore, I need to protect him from material blessing. Because if Yaakov has material blessing, it will compromise, it will take away from his spiritual pursuits. You can't have both. In this world, you cannot have both for Yitzchak. So for my Yitzchak, so for my Yaakov, my Ishtam Yoshev, my Yeshiva Bachar, my Tzaddik, for my tzaddik to remain a tzaddik, he can't be blessed with material blessing. So who's he going to give that blessing to? Because he does carry that power of giving the blessing of wealth. He thought, says the Rav, he'll give that to his Esav. He didn't know, remember. Esav tricked him. Esav excelled at the mitzvah of Kibarav. So Esav misled Yit, his father Yitzhak to think that he was, uh, yes, he liked to hunt. No, he was not the innocent kid who sat in the base of all day. But okay, so he'll observe the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noach. He won't be the son through which the 613 mitzvahs pass. He'll be the son who will keep the Sheva Mitzvahs. And that's why he thinks, I'll give Esau the bracha of Bital HaShemayim, and so on. And Yitzchak and Yaakov will get the bracha of spirituality. And Rivka understood the reverse. Rivka understood that no, in Judaism, the spiritual is predicated on the physical. We elevate the mundane to become holy. For Yaakov to achieve that role that he's destined to play, to be the progenitor of the next generation, Yaakov can't be um, protected from the physical. He needs the physical, and he needs the experience of elevating it. So what's going on here, says the Rav, is really an underlying debate between Yitzchak and Rivka about how Kedusha, how sanctity and spirituality are achieved. Are they achieved by divorcing oneself from the physical or by immersing oneself in the physical but elevating the physical? Based on Yitzchak's philosophy, Esav deserved the bracha and based on, based on Rivka's philosophy, Yaakov deserves the bracha and that's why Rivka goes through this deceptive process. She is so sure of herself. By the way, as, as there are, find ourselves in a controversy over the role of women in Jewish leadership today, 
you see that if not for Rivka, boy, how we would have blown it. Had Yitzchak had his way and given the brachos according to the pattern that he saw fit, we would have been in a lot of trouble. Thank God Rivka, who didn't need a title to do it, but Rivka just understood her role as a woman, as a mother, as a person of vision. Thank God Rivka said, I have to take matters into my own hand. And she even deceived her own husband in order to get the results she knew that the future of the world, the future of the Jewish people would need, that her Yaakov needed the bracha of mitala shamayim haaretz, because Yahadus is all about elevating the physical. If Yaakov were to remain only that Ishtam Yashiv Ha'olim, then we'd be in trouble. Yes? Why couldn't he give him the bracha for both the same? Why couldn't he give him the bracha for both? That's a good question. If you bless your children, you say the same bracha. Yeah. It's a, it's a good question. Why not Gashmis and Baruchnias? It's a good question. So what happens? What happens? One bracha he blesses for one, the other was blessed for the other. What? One bracha that he blessed once that was blessed for him, the other bracha was blessed for the other. Correct, but there was an underlying debate. I don't remember where I saw it, but I saw another suggestion once that actually the debate between Yitzchak and Rivka was different. Yitzchak says, "Look, I know what this world is like. Don't forget, I also grew up with a half sibling." Who was his half-sibling? Yishmael. Yitzchak says, I know how challenging it is to take my father's legacy and live it in this world. Yitzchak lives his life redigging the wells that have been filled in. He knows it's a hostile world and they're out to extinguish the light of Avraham. So Yitzchak is telling his Rivka, who's got the best shot of our two boys of carrying this legacy forward? Who can overcome this hostile world and survive it? to pass on this torch to the next generation. Our meek, pale, yeshiva bacher, who sits in the base medrash all day and has never seen the light of day? Or our strong, hunter, gibor, mighty Esav? Yitzchak thought, Yaakov does not have a nim. Only Esav. So what does Rivka do to prove to Yitzchak that Yaakov has it in him? That he too can learn to operate in a hostile world? Yaakov rises to the occasion. Boy, could you prove it to Yitzchak more than pulling the wool over his eyes? Could you prove it to Yitzchak more? You know? I imagine they're lying in bed that night after the brachas and Rivka says, Hey Yitzchak, tell me again. You don't think Yaakov can do it? (laughs) Tell me again. You don't think Yaakov can survive in this world with hostility and people? You don't think Yaakov can operate? I told you he's he's got both. Yaakov can pull it off. By the way, all of that we're sharing now might answer why at the end Yitzchak doesn't confront Yaakov. Because if Yitzchak is won over to Rivka's opinion, whether it's that you have to have the Gashmiris and Ruchnius together like the Rav says, or like this other pshat, that Yaakov really does have the ability to do it. If Yitzchak is won over, you understand why he doesn't take Yaakov to task. First of all, he understands that it's his own wife that put their son up to it. Maybe he took her to task. But also, if Yitzchak is won over to it, he appreciates, boy, how grateful he must have been for what Yaakov did. Yaakov went against his own, went against his own nature. Emes Yaakov. Yaakov violated his own inclination to be able to do this. Yitzchak might have been deeply appreciative to say, you know, Rivka and Yaakov, boy, did you save me from a mistake that I almost made. Thank you. So it's fascinating what's really going on here under the surface. What are the debates? And what's really taking place? Yes? Doesn't it like bother you at all? I know there's <clears throat> great scholars that are bothered by the way you're treating Asa from the get-go. 
Um, does it bother me? Well, if, Yitzh- if Rivka understands the threat, if her, his real character... But a lot of people say that it's because of the way she continued that... Like the mother. Oh, that's how <laughs> the way Correct. And this is for another time, but then it's Rav Hirsch talked about the fact that because... Rav Hirsch goes so far as to say that Yitzchak and Rivka were not the best parents. Had they recognized Yaakov and Esav were different from the outset and raised them each according to their way, then Esav could have turned out a lot better. They point that out. The Medrash says, there's one other character in Tanakh who's described as Admoni. Esav, anyone know who the other one is? David Amelach. David Amelach is also described as Admoni, a ruddish complexion. So commentaries point out, what do David and Esav have in common? If anything, you want to say Lahavdil. But what do David and Esav have in common? Not just they had a ready complexion. Very interesting, actually. My daughter who just had this, uh, she had to have surgery on her leg that she broke last week. She has red hair. And after the, uh, the, the procedure, the anesthesiologist told me that redheads require more anesthesia than non-redheads. Isn't that interesting? Redhead, redheads require a higher dose than non-redheads. Fascinating, that just reminded me, the Admoni. So, what do David HaMelech, Chas V'Shalom, hopefully my Tamimala is, fits in David HaMelech, not Chas V'Shalom, the Esav category. But, what, what does it mean, what is this reference to Admoni? They both had passion and fire and energy. Today we'd call it ADD. ADHD. Right? David HaMelech has ADD, and what happens? He writes Tehillim, he becomes a gibor who fights for the Jewish people. Esav has ADD, and his parents kept saying to him, why can't you sit in the base medrash like Yaakov? What's the matter with you? Why can't you sit still? That's what Rav Hirsch says. Esav becomes Esav because they tried to make Esav like Yaakov instead of saying, Esav, you're Esav. You can be an Admoni and become a David. You can be an Admoni and become an Esav. So that's part of also what's going on here. I want to get a lot further, so let's keep going. Let's go a little bit more. Yitzchak finishes giving the bracha to Yaakov, and so this is a great drama. It's a great play. Just as Yaakov's leaving through this door, Esav's coming in through that door. Esav comes in from his hunt. Says the Rashpam, Lahagid Nisim Yaakov. Miracles. Had Esav completed his hunt a moment earlier, he would have come in. Who knows what would have happened. It's a miracle that it was timed just in this fashion. Verse 31. Esav too had prepared delicacies for his father. Get up, eat from the hunt of your son. So that you can bless me. By the way, what's the deal? You can only give a brach on a full stomach? I think we talked about this last year, two years ago. When Yitzchak first tells I want to give a bracha to Esav, go hunt, make me some food, make a barbecue, something delicious. I want to give you a bracha. Well, you can't, why can't you give a bracha on an empty stomach? You can only give a bracha on a full stomach? Okay. So Esav comes back, and he says to his father, you see that in this pasuk, No? Eat, Dad. Tati, eat. I want a bracha. S, eat something good, so you can give me a bracha. Yitzchak reacts, you could... You could Picture this drama. Esav walks in, he runs in, he's got the delicious ribs and the steak and that. He says, Abba, eat, eat, I want the bracha, come eat, I'm here. 
And Yitzchak says, look at the Pasuk. Um, Miata? I'm sorry. Who are you? Vayomer, Ani bincha bechorcha Esav. Who am I? He's incredulous. I'm your son. Your eldest son. Esav. This is like the inverse of we saw in the Akedah. Kachas bincha es yechidcha asher ahafta. Right, that Hashem has to spell out to Avram. Bincha. Avram says, I have two sons. Asher ahavcha. I love both my sons. Siyachidcha, the only son. Each is an only son to their mother. As Yitzchak. Right? That's the whole conversation. This is like the opposite. Ani. Bincha. Bechorcha. Esav. Vayecharad Yitzchak haragali gedolah ad ba'od. Yitzchak goes, oh boy. Wow. And Rashi quotes that Ra Gehenim Psucha Mitachtov, he saw the entrance of Gehenim open beneath him. If you're Esav, who is that? Who is just here? Then I gave a bracha. But look at the end of that sentence. Who is just here that I gave a bracha to? How does Pasuk Lamed Gimel end? Gam Baruch Yiyeh. Wow, what a whopper for Esav. One second, if you're Esav, who was the one who's just here, who took the bracha, that I gave the bracha to, he too shall be blessed. Yitzchak throws in this gratuitous phrase. He too shall be blessed. What does that mean? Says Rashi, Shilotomar, ilule sherima Yaakov la'avi lo'nat Yitzchak now transforms the bracha that he had given Yaakov from a bracha that was attained through trickery to now giving him the bracha with a full heart. He says, one second, who was just here who took that bracha? Ah, he should have that bracha. He gives it to him with his full heart. Look at this Rashbam. If from the Svarno it seems that it was clear that Yitzchak did not know that it was Yaakov, he thought it was Esau. Look at this Rashbam. Gam Baruch Yihyeh, says the Rashbam, Shamir Lo he too should be blessed because he was quick to serve me. So whoever that guy was, he fed me well. He deserves a bracha too. But then the Rashbam continues, Vigam Yada Shebe'etzas Rivka Asa Hakol, Vihaisa Makarasbo Sheroi Lebrachos. Yitzchak knew that Rivka had concocted this whole thing. And Yitzchak realizes that Rivka is right. And whoever just took that bracha was deserving of it. So that expression, Gam Baruch Yehiyeh, whoever that was, he too should be blessed, says the Rashbam, that's Yitzchak's admission, that he's conceding, Rivka was right. Wow. That was Yaakov who just pulled that off? She was right. Gam Baruch Yehiyeh. He too shall be, he too shall be blessed. The Sforno also says, why did he throw in that extra phrase? That he sensed that the bracha had fallen to the correct address. He sensed he had given it to the right place. Let me end with one last thought. So now Esav reacts and he says, what's the deal? That Yaakov, oh, that conniving, cunning brother of mine, I cannot believe he did this to me. He asked this great rhetorical question, Esav, Because you named him Yaakov. Yaakov can mean a heel, and it can mean to trick. You gave him this name, now he's been able to pull it off twice on me. He took the Bechorah, and now he stole the Bracha. 
First he stole the Bechorah, and now he stole the Bracha, to which the Mepharshim are bothered. The Kliyakar asks, how did Yaakov steal the Bechorah? He paid for it, outright. He negotiated a deal. Why would Esav accuse him if he stole the birthright? He didn't steal it. He bought it. He purchased it. So the Kliyakar gives an answer. And by the way, about this name thing, the Svarno says, what do you see from here? It's a rhetorical question of Esav, but he says like the Gemara Barachos Dav Zayin, to shame Garim. The name we give a child establishes the child's destiny. Parents have a level of prophecy when they're giving a name. They named him Yaakov, and he became Yaakov. He lived up to that name. So Esav is incredulous. Esav is furious. But he says, look, we're here. Give me a bracha, Dad. Once we're here, give me a bracha too. So Yitzchak gives him a bracha. And listen to the bracha. Perach of Zion, Pasuk Lametes, verse 39. Yitzchak Aviv, and then he goes on, and so on. But just from that Pasuk 39, what should strike you? It sounds like it's the exact same bracha. In the reverse. To Yaakov he said, Yaakov thinking it was Esau, maybe, but he said, and to Esau he says, It's the exact same bracha. In the reverse, what? Moshevecha. So how is that different? Right? From the fat of the land should be your dwelling place. So the Kleyakar is bothered by this question. It seems like they get the very same bracha. Rosh Hashiva from Karen B'Yavna Rav Chaim Yaakov Goldvech Zatzal once explained the substance of the bracha is the same but the resulting relationship with Hashem is different. Yaakov's bracha God should give you from the dew of heaven. Yitzchak wants Yaakov's bracha to obviously be from Hashem in such a manner that Yaakov can't deny that it comes from Hashem. Whereas Esav begins Mishmane Ha'aretz where Esav might make the mistake of thinking his bounty is natural, comes from the earth. Yitzhak reverses the order because for Yaakov, he wants Yaakov to have that relationship with Hashem. So it begins mitala Hashemayim. May you look up, may you realize from Shamayim that Hashem is the one who's providing you and never fail to say thank you. To Esav, he's a man of the earth. He says, You're going to live with the fat of the land thinking it's natural that it's something which is part of the, of the land. Why was... Why was... Uh, why was Esav so afraid when he first hears that he realizes the mistake he made by Yecharad, Charadah, he sees Gehenim open up underneath him. What was this fear? So we'll end with this. Basalavichik says, this is again from the new Rabbi Salavichik Chumash, Said the Rav, why was Yitzchak so afraid? It was because Yitzchak understood for the first time that Esav had no right to enter the Ohel, the tent of Avram, Sarah, and Rivka. The Ohel at Kedushas Beis a game hunter and the Beis Hamikdash are mutually exclusive concepts. Esav's home was the antithesis of his mother's home. He was an Ish Sadeh, a man of the field, not an Ish Ohalim, a man of tents. He had no use for the Ohel. As a result, when Esav came in, the entire Ohel began to tremble. Wherever the Shekhinah resides, 
that places a base amikdash. When Esav came into Yitzchak's tent, it was a desecration of the mikdash. All right, have a great week, everybody.